Welcome to the Preacher's Podcast for the second Sunday of Easter. The season of Easter continues for seven weeks after Easter Sunday, and throughout this season we see how Jesus is victorious over all our enemies. Each week we concentrate on a different facet of that victory. And more, we don't merely watch from the sidelines as Christ marches in victory over sin, death, Satan, and hell. His victory is our victory. His life is our life. We join in the festal procession, actively living the new lives that he has given us. The second Sunday of Easter, the theme of the day is witness marches victorious over restraint. And that theme hints at one of the important aspects of the victorious new life that we have in the risen Christ. And we'll see that more as we go along today. I should probably introduce myself. Pastor Hine did a little bit last week when I sat in on the podcast. Uh, my name is John Mitchell. I'm a pro professor at Wisconsin Lutheran Seminary, where I teach homiletics and church history. And uh, Pastor John Hine, who's been hosting, has passed moderating duties off to me for a while, and I'm excited to be a part of things here. Um, also joining us this season of Easter, Pastor Caleb Kurbis. He serves at Living Savior Lutheran in Asheville, North Carolina. And that is one of two campuses of uh, their congregation, the other being in Hendersonville, North Carolina, served by our other guest today, Pastor Paul Zell. And Pastor Zell also taught New Testament, among other subjects, here at Wisconsin Lutheran Seminary for many years. And uh, we have with us today Professor Tom Cuck, who teaches Christian education and Old Testament here at the seminary. Professor Cuck is also director of Grow and Grace, the seminary's continuing education department, and he needs no introduction because you've heard him maybe on other podcasts already. But uh, welcome to all of you, and uh, good to be with you today talking about the gospel, especially for the second Sunday of Easter, but also the other readings today too. So I'll start with you, Caleb. Um, what is the central thought this week, or what's the main point that you want your listeners to take home with them after the service. So Jesus, not only is, we don't say he was raised, he is risen indeed. And he didn't crawl back into the tomb um, after last Sunday. And so with maybe a little less fanfare and maybe even a few less people in the seats, hopefully not, but maybe that might be the case. It can seem like on this Sunday, Things are a little bit toned back, toned down, back to normal. But uh, for the Christian, we understand what the real normal is, and that is that Christ's the the fact of Christ's resurrection continues, especially as He has ordained witnesses to be able to carry that truth forward. And so the the theme for today that the that the resurrection of Christ or that Christ the witness marches victorious over restraint even though it seems like things are a little bit toned back and maybe not souped up, maybe it's, it's very similar to all of life for that matter, the, the ups and downs, the flashiness. And even as we kind of get into the idea of feelings and doubts later on that the, the, the what it all comes down to in the end is, is the witness, these eyewitnesses as Christ not only brings peace to them, but then also sends them with what they've seen and heard and the scriptures being fulfilled. So that, that witness, the fact of it, supersedes uh, everything else as it centers in and flows from the resurrection. Great. Thank you. Yeah. So it, it really is a continuation of this truth that never goes away. Uh, literally, it, Jesus is risen. He is living and that, that life now flows through all his people. Uh, Paul, could we go to you next and just get a, a glimpse of the, the other readings for the day. We'll be talking especially about the gospel. So if you want to summarize that, uh, please do. But also tell us what else is in the lectionary before us today. Yeah, happy to do that. Um, I'll start with this, that this is one of the Sundays that, I, that especially the prayer of the day fits perfectly um, I, I'll read it, a very quick reading of the prayer of the day. O risen Lord, you came to your disciples and took away their fears with your word of peace. Come to us also by word and sacrament and banish our fears with the comforting assurance of your abiding presence. For you live and reign with the Father and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Uh, it's as though each of those phrases was 
the, the person composing that was looking at these particular passages. The, um, the first reading of the day is from the book of Acts chapter five. Uh, the apostles in Jerusalem have been, um, uh, they've been arrested but during the night, as, as the reader reads this, an angel of the Lord delivered them. The next day, the, uh, the, the leaders of Jesus' enemies, or I, I should say, yeah, his enemies confront the apostles. We told you to stop doing this, to stop filling Jerusalem with um, this message of resurrection. You're making us guilty of this man's blood. And... Peter and the apostles, the very men who had once fled in fear, um, they, they say we must obey God rather than human beings. Um, and of course, God, they say, has exalted Christ to, to bring Israel through us this message of, of forgiveness. We are witnesses, so is the Holy Spirit. So you see a lot of elements that are going to come up also in the gospel of the day. The second reading is the opening passage of Revelation chapter one, um, begins with grace and peace to you. Uh, Christ uh, is the, the one who brings this peace, the ruler of the kings of the earth, the one who is and who was and who is to come. And then John is given the, um, his first vision of Christ who is standing among the golden lampstands, uh, the, the, the churches, and in his right hand, he has the seven stars, the, the angels, the messengers. So uh, the risen Christ, very powerfully present among his people. And then, of course, those readings chosen because of the gospel of the day, which is John chapter 20, verses 19 to 31. Um, maybe because I've spoken so long, I'll just give one quick thing about the gospel. As you look at the preceding chapters, there's a whole lot of trouble. Uh, Jesus foretells it. Um, he, 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 he instructs his disciples that holy week of, of um, Peter denying him, Judas, Judas betraying him. Uh, but don't let your hearts be troubled. Don't be afraid. If the world hates you, keep in mind it hated me first. Uh, there will be grief, but the grief will be turned to joy. And then, of course, what seems to be these troubling chapters of his arrest and uh, the trials, his crucifixion, death, and, and burial. But that's, of course, followed by John chapter 20, where Jesus shows himself first to Mary Magdalene, and then, of course, in this account, to his, his gathered apostles. I think I'll stop at that point. Obviously, there is a lot to be said about the John 20 passage. Yeah, well, let's get into that then. Um, Tom, would you like to kind of uh, get us rolling with uh, a look at that, that section, John 20, 19 to 31? Sure. Um, you know, Luther one time said something like this about John's gospel. He said, the words are so simple, but the meaning is so deep. And uh, this, this is pretty typical of that. The, the Greek is not all that difficult, which is, is helpful for us as preachers, I think. But boy, there's just so much there. Um, you start off with, um, I'll take, I'm going to look at just a couple little detailed things. First of all, verse 20, that as Jesus appears to the disciples, he shows them literally the hands and the side. Um, Certainly, the definite article that are the definite articles that are used there can uh, be in place of the personal pronoun, his hands and his side. And there's probably a reason we translate it that way for good fluent English. But I do wonder if this isn't one of those places where there is a little bit of a nuance by using the definite article instead. Um, there's no other hands which could have done what Jesus did. There's no other side which could have been pierced and would have been meaningful the way Jesus' side being pierced is meaningful. So I kind of think this is one of those places where um, this is the hands, this is the side, and Jesus wanted them and, and wants us to, uh, to, to see it. I think that's, that's, uh, that's valuable. Bouncing to verse 21, you know, Jesus says, peace be with you a couple of times. 
as the Father has sent me, perfect tense, with ongoing results, so I am sending you the, the present tense, that here's something which is ongoing, that the mission of Jesus and the, the mission of the Christian is an ongoing activity, that in wonderful grace and mercy, uh, Jesus has chosen to grab you and me and bring you into his mission and with just the same kind or with a very similar kind of authority as what the Father had given to Jesus himself. That is amazing grace, um, amazing honor. Verse 22 is kind of a theological dorky thing, but I found it incredibly interesting when I discovered it. The, the verb anaphizazin, um, he breathed on them and said to them, that Greek word is used in the Septuagint in two very interesting places. First of all, that's the same Greek word that's used in, in Genesis 2 verse 7 for God breathing into Adam the breath of life. Uh, you talk about a breath of empowerment um, and that that would be the same word that's used here. To think about the message which you and I share, how empowering it is. And that same the verb shows up again in Ezekiel chapter 37 when uh, the, the breath is breathed into the slain ones there in Ezekiel's vision and they come to life. And again, what honor for us as, as pastors that we get to bring a message which empowers, uh, which is life-giving and life-restoring is, uh, is, is just absolutely amazing. I'm going to pull out two other thoughts quickly and then because I'm guessing some of these things we'll get into as we just talk the text more thoroughly. But the end of verse 25, ume pistoizo, um, Thomas's words there are really strong. Um, there's no way I'll believe it. <laughs> no way. And you, you, you just look at that and you go, man, you know, why is that? Well, if you back up, you hear that the disciples kept on saying there's an imperfect tense there. You can imagine how the disciples must have just been bugging Thomas during this whole week going, come on, man, we saw him. How can you not believe this? This is great. And, uh, and is this just finally Thomas being frustrated and going, no way. There's no way I'm going to believe it. Um, regardless, it, it contrasts with the wonderful grace of Jesus. What does he do? He bends to Thomas's wishes and comes and shows up and says, okay, if that's what you need, I'll even give you that. Wow, just an amazing, amazing thing. One last Greek thought, and then I'll, then I'll pass the baton along. Verse 28, when Thomas sees Jesus, his response is not just, O oh Lord and O oh God, but it's Lord of me and God of me. That he's both submitting to Jesus, but also there's, I think, a wonderful confession of faith there that, oh Lord, you are my Lord, and in wonderful grace and mercy, you've chosen me to be one of your subjects. Wow, that I get to call you Lord. What wonderful grace and mercy, and that you and I get to call Jesus my Lord, and my God is also wonderful grace and mercy for us, uh, for us simple human beings. I'll stop there. There's more to be said, but I'm sure we'll say it as we go along. Great, excellent thoughts, Tom. Thank you uh, for noting all those things. Yeah, that, this is one of the, uh, the things about this text is that there is just so much. I mean, it's, it's hard to exhaust um, all the riches that are here. Um, but um, let me open it up then to Caleb and Paul also. Um, your thoughts on this text, um, whether it is an exegetical thought, um, something you want to point out as um, guys are, are enhancing and, and augmenting the study that they've already done, or uh, avenues for preaching different parts of this text? I'll comment a little bit, at least. This is Paul. The, um, the part of the text that I think um, maybe our listeners have a hard, the hardest time relating to is uh, verses 22 and 23 um, that Jesus gives, gives his disciples the, the Holy Spirit and then gives them the authority to forgive sins uh, that, that's real and also the authority to um, 
the, the Greek is to, to, in a sense, hold them fast. Um, in other words, I'm, I'm, I, I, I cannot send those sins away. I can't forgive them uh, if what I, what I hear, what I witness from a listener is, is unbelief. Um, the uh, kind of significant that he, he gives this to the, the, his disciples, the apostles, um, I don't think we really have any evidence in scripture that, that nowadays then that's only those who are the called pastors of the church that have this authority, but that this is, this is something that's given to all believers. Um, maybe I, I think, so how do we help our people recognize that they actually have the right and the authority and the Holy Spirit to do this, that they have they do have law and gospel conversations with people um, where they, they sometimes hear um, and, and witness rank out and out rejection of Christ and, and have the authority to say, well, then there's, there's no forgiveness for you. I, that uh, God cannot grant that. I certainly can't grant that in Jesus name. But of course, the joy also of, of telling somebody that they love how much Jesus loves them and forgives them. So to, I, I don't know if I've done it with my comments, but to move verses 22 and 23 out of, well, that's like, that's like an academic truth, okay, but to help them understand this, this authority is given to um, all those who are disciples of Jesus. Uh, it's, I, I, I kind of mention that because in, in preaching this text, it might be sort of easy that, yeah, I don't know if I want to get into that, but in fact, that's, uh, that's, that's the ministry. That's the ministry given to the whole church to speak both um, law that, um, that, that holds, uh, essentially holds on to someone's sin uh, that, that, does does not release the sin from them and obviously to the, the the joy the thrill of speaking the gospel belongs to the the authority to do that belongs to all believers and obviously then the the, the courage and the conviction is given by the spirit and that's a big part of this text great uh tom to that point yeah, I, you know, one of the challenges of this text is, I think, in a lot of ways, this isn't one text, it's four. <laughs> you've got the, the Easter Sunday evening, you've got this about forgiveness of sins, you've got the Thomas account, and then you've got the conclusion is kind of the way I look at this. But I wonder if this point that Paul's bringing up is a wonderful chance to talk about the ministry of the keys and confession and to, to bring it home in, in just very, very practical ways. Um, not that we husbands ever make a mess out of it, but this husband does on occasion. And uh, when he has to go to his wife and say, um, I'm sorry, I, I blew that, please forgive me. And she says, you're forgiven, that those words are as powerful as if Jesus himself had spoken them and that she has that God-given right to send my sins away. Um, what a cool thing that is. And I, you know, we make use of that ministry of the keys of confession, I think a whole lot more than we realize. I prefer if we use the words you're forgiven or I forgive you, because I think that reminds us of what we're actually doing. Sometimes we say it more colloquially by saying, well, don't worry about it, or that's okay. Um, I hope we're saying you're forgiven, uh, but that ministry of the keys of confession is so neat. And maybe this could be a place where the pastor could use uh, the ministry of the keys and confession from a small catechism as your confession of faith. Maybe in the confession and absolution, you could have, um, you know, first of all, the, the, the men confess to the women and the women forgive the men and then vice versa. Um, or the, the pastor confess the congregation, the congregation first forgive him and then vice versa. You know, a way to, uh, to, to just highlight that power that God has given to us as his believers. Caleb? Yeah, what you said, Tom, before about there's the challenges there, there's four texts. And so, you know, a couple things when it comes to, you, you can easily get down and it's hard to treat something like the, the keys when you can already anticipate a lot of the questions that we have heard and will continue to hear. 
you know, how can a person, you know, uh, do that? You know, isn't this like a different church or whatever it is? Um, you know, maybe that's a, maybe that's all Bible study material. One, one thing you, a preacher may also consider is viewing the, the peace and the sending and the forgiveness aspect as all blessings that God gives in the resurrection. And so a, a, one way of maybe thinking about this, and this is just a thought is maybe elevating a, a bit above these subjects and how can we kind of create an overview, all that centers on the facts of the resurrection themselves. So if these are blessings of the resurrection that God has bestowed upon his disciples and, and consequently now his church, then see how now somebody like, like Thomas is struggling with things like these, not necessarily maybe the, the, the ministry of the keys. There's not that aspect in this text, but certainly his doubt has robbed him of peace um, in, in at least a couple ways. So um, as, as you kind of start to wrestle with how am I going to, how am I going to approach this? It, it can happen where, and maybe I know I've done this because as, as you mentioned before the recording, John, um, this comes up every year. So as you think about the surrounding text, but then as you also think of approaching it every year, there's plenty of opportunities to dig in um, or maybe zoom over and give an overview. Um, but one aspect of, about it in this respect is it, the, the witness itself, if I'm going to overview some of those things, maybe save them for a Bible study, those, those beginning parts of the sending and the peace and the forgiveness um, and the ministry of the keys, um, how, how is that, that robbed? But then in the end, Thomas ends up receiving the very same thing based upon the witness itself fulfilled in the scriptures, the joy, as you mentioned before, Paul, um, they're going to, it's your sorrow will turn to joy and this is it. And this isn't a feeling thing. This is a fact thing. Um, great, great. Uh, Tom. Yeah, I love those thoughts, Caleb. And I'll, I'll just throw out the other side of the equation. Since this shows up every every year, the other option is to uh, major on a portion of the text and, and just focus in on one part of it, you know, one year. And then the next year, just say, okay, I'm going to hit another, you know, another part of it. And uh, that allows you to, to maybe major on, on the, the smaller points and really pull them through and in meaningful ways. I think both are totally legit. And I think it's, it's preacher's choice as to which way he decides to go. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think I found myself over the years, maybe doing both at times, um, either kind of the, the whole pericope and covering everything. Um, or yeah, saying this year, I'm, I'm going to preach only on this one section of the text and zeroing in on some of those themes in those particular verses, right? So it'll, yeah, it'll be something to consider not only for the Sunday when you're preaching, but kind of looking ahead or looking back um, to previous Easter two Sundays and upcoming ones as well. Caleb? So from that lectionary side of things, though, like it's, it's really hard to, um, so, you, you know, majoring in a minor part of maybe providing an overview or trying to trying to land somewhere in between. Um, it's hard to kind of skim over the sending aspect that Paul and Tom, you both brought up earlier. When you think of the other two lessons, as you highlighted earlier, Paul, the, the witness itself, even in the face of persecution in Acts 5, and then Jesus making such a big deal about the witness in Revelation. So that, 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 that's a really hard thing to kind of, it, it can be easy to kind of, I'm going to say the same thing in a different way when just get to the, let's just get to the doubting Thomas thing. Um, but to, to skim over that in the context of those other two lessons becomes, to just, that is to skim over the first section of this text with those other two lessons from Acts 5 and Revelation 1 becomes a bit more challenging. Um, and that just maybe muddies the waters in the beginning part of the week and middle, middle and later part of the week for the preacher too, as you're thinking about emphasizing the sending aspect and the blessings of the Holy Spirit centered in the witness of Christ himself. as not just something he's giving for them, but he's giving for them and to them for the benefit of others. Right. Yeah. And uh, that's a thought I had too. If you um, look at the other lessons for the day, they can help kind of give you some direction toward which part of this bigger section you can focus on. And you can use those to highlight portions of the gospel and vice versa. Then when you uh, focus on that sending part of the gospel or the message of forgiveness, you can 
uh, point back to the Acts section, for instance, and how Peter and John were proclaiming that message. Um, and they were some of the people who were there that on those two nights described in the gospel. Uh, Tom? Yeah, I, there, there's also some other emphases in those other lessons. So like, for example, the emphasis on Jesus being true God comes out really, really clearly, um, particularly in the Revelation reading. And so to, um, you know, to, to focus in more on Thomas's confession, I think is, is, is totally legit. Um, and I, I just think the preacher has to make some decisions based on his congregation and, and, and based on the setting in which, in which he's in. Um, are we about at the point where we wanted to start focusing on some specific gospel stuff of this text? Paul, Caleb, are you guys okay with moving in that direction a little bit? Sure, Paul, before we do, one thing I, to add. I think um, this is Paul. The, both the last comments, I think, helped me see and, and that it maybe would be, it, it, it would be um, what? Easy, an easy target to say, I'm just going to focus on blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. You, my listeners, you've been blessed with faith. Um, go on your way where the emphasis from this text, the, the John text and the, and, and, and the others as well, is so much on testifying. I think, I don't know which of you said that if, if I simply internalize this, if that's, my, if that's my faith, then I deprive others of, of the, the, the comfort and the encouragement that, that they desperately need of the, of the one way to eternal life that with, without that, they, they, don't, they don't live. So it's, it, um, it's, it's, not, it's not just the, I've been blessed, I believe, I, I leave with that smile on my face as wonderful as it is. There's power in that faith also to, to confess my Lord and my God, uh, to, um, to, to, uh, to follow in the footsteps of, of apostles who confessed even in the face of those who said, I don't think I agree with you. I don't want you to do that. Um, that's, there, there's significant Holy Spirit presence of, of the living Christ power here. One thing I could note briefly too is that in year A, when this gospel comes up, also on Easter 2, uh, one of the lessons is 1 Peter 1, 3 to 9, which includes, though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him. So that might be a year to focus on Thomas, Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. So I, I think that's the design of the lectionary and this gospel occurring in all three years. Since it is so rich, you can focus on different aspects of it and let the, uh, the other lessons for the day, the other readings govern maybe your decisions or inform them at least. Caleb? Yeah, and what you said before, Paul, uh, about it, there can be this temptation to just encourage people and even ourselves as we're reading it and preparing to preach it that this becomes an internal thing. And I think this is one, one of those texts where that can actually lead to more pitfall than anything. When you think of peace, peace can be heard even in this text when it's really clear that it's not something that's derived from us, but it's something that God gives. Peace can be heard by a listener as a, as a feeling. Um, the idea of doubt can, or confidence or faith can be something that, that is just uh, viewed through the, the self-inflicted filter as something that I have confidence in. And so it becomes very subjective when really this text and the other, the other coordinating texts too from Acts 5 and, and Revelation 1 point to the witness itself, um, the, the tangibility, the empirical nature of it, the fact that this wasn't some type of invented truth, um, that this was actually a discovered truth. It's not something that, that Thomas was looking for. In fact, it's something he was rejecting. It's, it's something that had to literally confront him to the face. Um, in the face. And so I think of all of the, what you mentioned before, Paul, I think is this strikes me as maybe a special opportunity to talk about how as important as we're not dismissing the way that people feel about this, but we're not going to center um, the truth of the legitimacy of it on how we feel, but rather on the facts themselves, the witness themselves, the, the scriptures themselves centering in, in the empty tomb itself. Um, that informs and uh, us as opposed to the other way around. 
Great. Thank you, Tom. One of the parts about this text that just strikes me over and over again is what Jesus says to his disciples three times. Peace be with you. And you, you start with it and you just go, of all the things Jesus could have said to the disciples when he came popping into the room, what are y'all doing? I already showed up to the women. I was out with the Emmaus people and you're standing here locked in a, in a, in a room. What are you doing? You know, didn't I tell you guys to go to Galilee there? You won't see me. You're sitting here in Jerusalem. What are you doing? You know, all these things that he could have said. And what's the first thing he says that peace be with you. Wow. That is just so amazing. And going back to what it you know, may have been in Hebrew, Shalom Lachem, that, um, that that concept of Shalom just is sort of an all-encompassing, everything is in the proper place. And ultimately, when I know that Jesus is risen from the dead, everything finally ends up in this proper place. But boy, I need to hear that over and over again. So Jesus doesn't come into the room and say it once. He repeats it almost immediately. And then when he comes popping into the room a week later, what does he do? He says it again because the disciples need it again. And I need to hear it over and over and over again. And so the wonderful opportunity for us as pastors, preachers, to be able to say to our people, peace be with you. Yeah, you may have made a mess out of it this last week. Peace be with you. And yeah, you're probably going to mess it up some this week too. We're not asking you to shoot for that. But peace be with you. Because look at the hands of Jesus. Look at his side. Those hands really died for you. They really rose for you. Peace be with you. That, I think one of the overriding thoughts of this text is just really neat as far as a gospel thought goes. Well, let's uh, talk about that a little bit. Um, highlighting ways to preach the gospel using the unique uh, color of this text. Um, we can also talk about maybe um, getting back to our homiletics uh, fundamentals, uh, what a malady uh, of the text is that we would identify for our hearers, and then how to apply the gospel from the text to that. So um, what about uh, uh, a malady or identifying uh, a sin problem uh, in this text? Uh, where would you turn or where have you turned in preaching this text in the past uh, for a malady? What have you highlighted? I'll throw one out there and then the others can um, do something different. And by the way, what, not necessarily correct what I did, but maybe you've got a totally different way of doing it, um, which, is, which is good and legit. I wrote out for the malady here, um, when we fear the, the threats and dangers presented by those who oppose Jesus, we go into full retreat. Um, the problem with that, and so if I want to write even more, we go into full retreat, depriving others of the message of forgiveness in life. Um, and I, that one, I think, very relatable. Um, all of us hear that from our people that, Pastor, the one thing that I have the hardest time doing is being a witness, telling others about what Jesus has done. And that's, that's something we, we are personally experiencing our, ourselves. So if the, the apostles who retreated um, because of fear of the Jews, that can certainly uh, be, be a, I guess, an illustration of, of the, the malady of we retreating ourselves for fear of those who oppose the Lord or may even oppose us. And the, the, again, I'll just emphasize as if that were not terrible enough in this text in particular, it deprives others of the gospel, of the message of forgiveness that, that they need as much as we do. So then the, the cure to that, and I'll, I'll just take that as a pair, is our, our risen living savior assures us of his presence, gives us his peace, and, and, and blows his Holy Spirit upon us. Um, and that's, of course, just mostly the first part of the text. But that's how he, he cures 
he cures this malady with, with his, his presence after the risen, the peace that he gives, and the spirit that he grants. Again, which of those I'll emphasize in this text? I, I don't know if I could do all three, but um, that can at least be in my notes while I'm, I'm trying to figure out how to preach on this. Yeah. Great. Yeah, uh, there is a connection there, isn't there? The peace that the disciples need, because they don't have it, um, or they don't think they have it, perhaps it's, it's more accurate to say, um, Jesus comes and freely gives it, his forgiveness, his peace, and then that enables them, empowers them to go share that forgiveness and the peace. Also, of course, Jesus' gift of the Holy Spirit here too. Um, but receivers of peace and givers of peace, receivers of forgiveness enables them to be givers of forgiveness. Great. Uh, adding to that or, or uh, a little different angle on malady and cure. Tom? This is somewhat generic, but one of the themes that kind of runs throughout it is, um, boy, do I make a mess out of stuff when I fail to listen to what my God says. Um, the disciples don't need to be in a locked room, but they are because they failed to listen to what God said. Thomas didn't have to spend a week in turmoil, uh, but he did because he refused to listen to what God said. Um, the end of the text, the, the, the concluding part of it there, um, I can live my life with wonderful blessings. Um, I've not seen yet. I have believed that God has blessed me with, with faith in what I have never seen. Thank God. What an honor and a privilege and a, and a blessing. And yet I so often live in turmoil and in fear and even arrogance like, uh, like Thomas because I'm not listening to what God said. And so I, I think that's a kind of an overall theme that, that runs through this rather nicely. The challenge, of course, is that's a theme that you could pick out for a whole lot of texts in the Bible, mm -hmm. refusing to listen to what God said. But I do think it perhaps fits particularly well with, uh, with this text, and maybe particularly the Thomas account, but I think it fits per, you know, pretty well with the first part of the text, too. And, of course, the solution is listen to what your God says. And what does he say? Peace, 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 and blessed are you. Wow. Yeah. That's and worth listening to. Definitely. And uh, verse 31, I mean, that familiar verse, these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ. That points us back also to the words of Jesus and the, the life and blessing we find there too. And uh, directing people there for peace, for forgiveness, for comfort, and then for um, energy to, uh, to share that message of forgiveness is a valuable thing also. Tom? Thank you for bringing up that last verse. I was blessed to have Professor Deutschlander as a professor when I was going through college. And one time, just in a conversation he was having with some of us guys, he, uh, he brought up that passage and he gave us a wonderful illustration that has stuck with me forever. And it's that when God wrote the Bible, yes, he wrote the Bible for everybody, but God was also smart enough to write it just for me. And so he suggested that we take this passage, these are written, and put our own name into it. These are written that Tom might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and that by believing, Tom may have life in his name. And um, if you're doing a children's message, a really easy one is uh, to take and take that page of the Bible and at the top of it write, Dear Tom, or whatever the names of your kids are, or the kids in your congregation, whatever. And then comes the message of the page, and it's signed at the bottom, love God. And it's signed in red, the blood of Jesus. Because on every page of that Bible, somehow, some way, God is taking me back to Jesus. Either how God brought Jesus to, the, to, this, to this world, how um, Jesus lived, died, and rose for me and saved me, what Jesus wants me to believe, how Jesus would have me to act out of thanks for him, etc. But dear Tom, love God. What a great illustration that has stuck with me for, like I said, the rest of my life. Yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. Uh, Caleb? In, very much in connection to the previous two, it kind of goes back to the idea of an, of an overview, right? So if it, there's a plight here in the things that they don't have or, or the things that the disciples are missing, and then there's a really maybe inter, easy transition into the thing that they now do have as they become witnesses to Thomas, although he now no longer has 
that thing, that, that peace, that forgiveness, the ability to not only have it for himself, but also to administer it and communicate it with others. Um, and then there's kind of this easy progression that you can follow. So what, whatever that theme might be, um, it, it can be something like what, what, what is life like without the resurrection? The disciples are living that, um, you know, what, whatever that is. Um, so of all of the things that a person can do in this case, if they're going to, if they're going to follow that overview, that might be one way, uh, maybe a totally different, um, angle on this too, is there's a million ways to talk about doubt and probably because it is a very, um, well, abstract concept. And so, um, of all of the things that doubt does, especially when you, when you think of like the malady aspect of it. Um, if a person wants to, to think about doubt, especially in the face of the witness itself, um, the, the things that you find in the text that Thomas specifically does. So the doubt of the disciples for fear, so that is where doubt leads, um, then also doubt presumes or it assumes something of God unless he, um, he's making a claim. He's, he has certain expectations as unfair as they are of God. So this is where this is where doubt goes also, and this is, this is what doubt is going to do. It's going to even be this presumptuous, um, but ultimately you have an answer to those two aspects, and there's, probably, there's more in there too, as limited as a preacher might be. There's, there's aspects in there of what God does with doubt. First of all, I think there's a chance for us to normalize doubt. Like for the person, I don't know who maybe told us, um, I don't think anyone did tell me, maybe I just got the idea with my own mishearing. That if man, if you're doubting, you're a dirty, rotten sinner, and you should be ashamed of it. <laughs> but maybe this is a chance to to normalize it. Like if you're doubting, that makes you human. Um, to to normalize it, that, that this is recorded. That yeah, that we may believe, but this is also recorded so that we could we could find out that these disciples are normal and we're human believers too. Um, but notice what God does to doubt. Um, that you just can't get. He he meets it head on. He's not afraid of it. He's not, he's not ashamed to call us brothers to, to come to breathe his peace on us through his saving word and to even point us in the one direction where we can find the wounds that forgive us of our sins, including, including our doubts. Um, so I think if you approach it that way, I think you can still get to all of those aspects about the witness. Um, you can, there's, I think, a million ways to talk about such an abstract concept as doubt, whether you'd make it like uh, anthropomorphic, you, like maybe there's a voice of doubt or something that maybe the the guidance or the way where doubt leads you you kind of you kind of make it come alive but then you can kind of talk about what jesus does in the face of those things those are those are just maybe maybe a couple uh ways of approaching thomas specifically um but not forgetting the beginning and the end parts of this text um mm -hmm. as well and also having very clear specific gospel of this is this is what god thinks about it um maybe here it, it gives an opportunity to knock down some straw men in um, Christian culture or even in society, but the way that Jesus ultimately saves us from it. Okay, Jesus addressing our doubts. Tom? Yeah, I loved your thoughts there, Kale. Those are really strong. And um, I, I might even brought it just slightly to say it's not just doubt, it's fear, it's mm -hmm. refusal to listen, it's arrogance, it's it's whatever. Um, and you know the, the reality of Jesus keeping on coming back. Um, one of my favorite mantras in, in life and in ministry is we're just a bunch of sinners saved by Jesus. And that we need Jesus to come to us over and over and over again with his word of peace. And in amazing grace, he does. And he just keeps coming back to us and saying, I'll take care of the doubt. I'll take care of the fear. I'll take care of the whatever it is that you're struggling with. I got it. I got it. What grace and mercy. Um, I found this text to be really, really helpful to use with people uh, when they're undergoing some sort of a tragedy. And the way I would use it was very, very simple. And of course it didn't have to be tragic situation, but just tough. The way I would do it is just say, what does Jesus do? He comes popping into the room and he says to them, peace be with you. And then he shows them his hands and his side. So what I want you to do is picture Jesus. He's standing in front of you. He says, peace be with you. And then he shows you his hands. He shows you his side. And there's the proof of his love for you. The nail marks are there. He died for you. That's how much he loves you. And he rose for you. That's how strong he is. And I want you to take that picture of Jesus 
as you walk in the operating room, as you walk to the funeral, whatever it is, take that picture of Jesus. There are his hands, there are his side, and hear his words, peace be with you. It's, it's very concrete, and I think it really helps people to, uh, to, to, uh, to just internalize the gospel in a very concrete, real way. Yeah, powerful. The word of Jesus and yeah, that grace that he shows in displaying his hands inside, it is finished um, and I'm alive again and, and therefore you live too. Um, really powerful. Uh, other thoughts about uh, approaching this text, uh, had some great ones on the, the maladies we can identify, the doubt and the fear, and especially how those deprive not only us, but others of peace, uh, the cure, the powerful word of peace that Jesus speaks, the um, showing his hands and side, the, the word of peace and forgiveness that come through his scriptures also, right? Verse 31. Um, yeah, Caleb gave us a good overview of how to, how to uh, focus on doubt and Jesus addressing our doubt and then folding in those other aspects of the text. Um, ways that you have uh, uh, put a theme together or an outline, do any come to mind or um, any unifying thoughts maybe or unifying images or phrases that you have used to preach this text? Paul? Um, the prelude to this is uh, Tom talked twice about what, what we see based on the words of, of Jesus, his, his hands, his side. I think every, you hear some people are visual learners. Everybody's a visual learner. And there's something to see based on the clear written word that um, is um, it, it's just, it's a very powerful thing to, to take with us as we go about the task of being as witnesses. So sort of with, with that, not necessarily in this, in these, this theme and parts, one of the one themes I've got is, is as simple and, and it's kind of like, oh no, uh, the risen Lord has sent you like, oh no. Yeah. Send, send somebody else. <clears throat> Um, no, the risen Lord has has sent you, and then the <clears throat> the 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 one part is bold to speak with the gift of the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> you have something to say that the Spirit gives you, and even He gives the the courage to say it. And then two, blessed to believe on the basis of this book. Um, so to, to move away from just, Tom mentioned hearing, I think even reading, that much of our worship service, somebody is reading this text to you, maybe you have it in the worship folder in front of you or even up on a screen, there are those words, um, blessed to believe on the basis of this book. So um, the, the first one, bold to speak with the gift of the Holy Spirit, is like, really, me? Yes, because he gives you his Holy Spirit. Um, and the second, blessed to believe on the basis of this book, um, again, the, the, the blessing of, of faith on the basis of the clear, unambiguous, the, these words are written for you to believe this. So that's, that's one basic outline a, a person could use. Obviously, the, the risen Lord has sent you, I, I guess, we probably overuse it, the Uncle Sam poster where he's pointing at you, and that's like, oh no. Um, or, or somebody somebody asks you to do something difficult, not me, let somebody else do this. And yet when you see the text and see the very type of individuals, very much like me that Jesus sent um, and equipped with the spirit and blessed them with faith on, faith on the basis of, of the word and the book, then okay, that 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 also it it does include me. Great, great suggestions, Paul. Uh, adding to that, or other options that come to mind, Caleb. Maybe going back to that overview, if if a person, you know, who's sick of a theme like overcoming overcoming skepticism with certainty, it kind of initially sounds like this is something that we have or that we accomplish. 
but um, you, you can touch on maybe all of those aspects of what the disciples didn't have and what Jesus inevitably gave, it, it, uh, later on gave them and then with Thomas and then ultimately where you find that the overcoming aspect doesn't happen from us. It only, it comes from the scriptures. So that might be one way to deal with it. Um, another way is maybe helping people identify with uh, Thomas who receives that, that very pejorative name. Um, Thomas has a twin and maybe help people realize that, yeah, Thomas has a twin and he's the preacher standing in front of you. Um, and it's also every single person um, who has doubts and wrestles with them. But it's one thing to have the doubts. It's another thing to maybe to know exactly what to do with them. So these are written for our benefit, this whole account, and then also the scriptures. Uh, a theme I'm kind of working on this year, and it's, and it's a bit premature, admittedly, but um, the idea is at least Thomas was honest. He, at least he was an honest doubter. And, and the reason for that is I, I get the sense that, I don't know what you guys think, I get the sense that it's easy for people who have their doubts and fears to become very quiet and introspective about them. Um, and the idea is to not be that way because the scriptures have an answer. God's not afraid of, uh, of the questions that we have. I mean, look at the way he's, he dealt with his prophets in the Old Testament, namely all of them. Um, so the, the idea that at least he's honest so whatever your doubts are, fine, but we have this ultimate answer in the eternal peace and the forgiveness and the fact of the resurrection, and then also in the fact that his wounds and hands are still seen in the witness of his word. So that's, that's a working theme in parts that, um, like I said, emphasis on working. Tom? I tended to become much more of an inductive preacher over the course of, of ministry and, and, of course, teachers preacher's choice on those sorts of things, but um, one theme I used was peace be with you and just kind of worked through one of the things that brings us turmoil and challenge and then where do we find peace and then the, another one I used was just the hands and the side focusing in on that little detail of, uh, of the Greek there and I, I hope I'm not overblown that I don't think I am um, and, and just talking about how we can get focused on so many external things that uh, I can take us in so many different directions and where does God want us focused in on? Finally wants us focused on Jesus's hands and Jesus's side, because that's where our salvation lies. And that will empower everything else that God wants us to, uh, to do. Great. Great suggestions. Yeah. And um, yeah, there's so many possibilities as we've been discussing with this text, so many beautiful gospel truths. And uh, yeah, and it is real too, uh, as you think about the fear and the doubt, not only of Thomas, but the other disciples as well. A lot we can identify with, a lot our listeners can identify with, um, and a lot of beautiful gospel to apply to ourselves and to them also. Right. Well, I'm going to wrap things up here, but thank you so much, uh, Caleb, Paul, Tom. Um, it's been a pleasure, and uh, we will see everyone next week. God's blessings as you proclaim his word.